Well, welcome, Derek, to our Learning on the Trail podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Derek is a systems analyst in our technology department. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So I think you have one of the most exciting jobs at Buffalo Trail Public Schools. One of the things I think is exciting about your job is you're the guy that makes the cool stuff work in the school. So when you go down the hallways of your schools and you see the kids on Chromebooks or you see the panels, the smart boards in action, do you think, you know, I'm the guy that makes sure all of this works for our kids? I usually think, I hope this keeps working so I can focus on what I want to do. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, there'd be a little of that, I bet. So I'm thinking that we have computers that are all hooked up. We have the networking in place. We have panels. We have smart boards. So why do we still need system analysis within our school division? Well, because if it's man-made, it will break. Yes. Yes, it will. So everything might work today, but if you wait five minutes, it might not be working. That's right. So do you spend a lot of your time each day kind of fixing things that are broken and go down? I wouldn't say a lot of my time during the day that break and go down. Um, You know, there's a good portion of hardware fixes, you know, Chromebooks, their screens, their keys, because there's so many in the division, it's just a volume thing. But, you know, personal computers that we have in the classroom too, they, they can fail. Their cards die, their power supplies can fail their hard drives can fail sometimes it's just a matter of well it's off warranty so we'll just throw one in and re-image it and away we go other times it's well it's still in warranty so we're gonna let dell fix that for us perfect yes can you tell me what a day in the life of your job would look like day in life yep check your emails see if there's anything burning down and by burning down i mean you know a school doesn't have internet if it sends something in our control that we can fix and change, we get in early and we we get it fixed before classes start. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think people understand probably how your day would change from reading that first email and then driving out to a school and making sure technology works. For example, this week, I know somebody was driving out to one of our schools early in the morning. I started by asking you, what's the day in the life? And you start by checking emails and make sure everything's working and that you don't have to go anywhere uh, to fix something. But then how do you prioritize tasks? Usually we take it on a basis of, is it affecting learning? So an example is a few days ago, one of these classrooms that's waiting for a panel, it's got an old projector in it. That's why needs to be replaced well yeah. bef- before the panel arrived the, the projector blew its bulb and you know then that classroom is without that device you know that affects learning so it's a matter of like what can i do as soon as possible to get to get that classroom back up and running whether it's find a, usually it's replace the bulb right? right but in a in a classroom where we know we're replacing that projector we don't want to we don't want to buy a bulb to use for 2 weeks and never again so what can we do to get them working? We got them sorted. We found I found a bulb. Oh, good. Because those aren't cheap either. To no, they're not. Place a bulb. And it always baffles me how excited the kids are when I show up with a fix to their projector. Oh yes, 
You're the guy that makes the stuff work back in the classroom. I would imagine the teachers yeah. are always excited to see you as well. I really appreciate the philosophy of our technology department where it, you know, we focus on is it affecting learning, which of course is our priority. Definitely. So I'm wondering when you were in school, were there courses that interested you in later deciding to go into technology or how did you get that interest in, you know, connecting them up and doing all of that? Um, back when there was computer labs. Oh, yes. We like I did some modules that were, I guess, considered coding. You know, I, I thought they were fun and easy. So a lot better than some of the other modules I worked through. That was one of the reasons it was like, I could see myself doing it. All the teachers say, find a career that you enjoy and you'll never work a day in your life. Absolutely. That is a great uh, quote for all of our students to remember. I'm wondering what was your first computer, Derek? Well, I think mom and dad bought a, you know, a Windows 95 back in the day. And as soon as we got our second one, yep. I opened up the old one. I had to know how it worked. Oh. I'd open up the case and... Yep. I, that's kind of where my journey began, so to speak, because, yep, power supply, motherboard, hard hard drive, it's all there. It's all there, yeah. And I remember back my very first computer, um, wondering if I would even need the internet. What, yeah, what's that? Room? Like, come <laughs> on, who's ever going to need that? I don't think I'll spend the extra $80. Little well, did I know. I reminiscing of, yeah, if you back when you had dial up internet, it's like, yeah, okay, get off the phone. I need to <laughs> dial into the internet. I know. See, kids have no idea how easy they have it. Exactly. Time flies. It does. It absolutely does. And for schools, like for their change from dial up into what they have now, we really do have instant access. Um, so are there any barriers in our schools right now that we would need to remove to have more people pursue a career or opportunities in computers because it, the area is so vast? I don't know if there's any any barriers we'd need to remove. I mean, technology is in these kids' hands quite a bit these days. So if it's something that interests them, I believe there's avenues they can take and there's so many um, resources out there. If you want to get some knowledge in something, you can, you can definitely find it. It wouldn't be that hard. Yeah. So if a student wanted to have some experience um, and follow you, would you be open to that opportunity and, and showing someone what networking looks like or changing a bulb in a projector or swapping out some Chromebooks? Oh, yeah, I'd be open to it. We've had people ask before and I don't know if it's ever come to fruition, but yeah, we'd be open to that. Yeah, well, I'm thinking with our podcast, people will listen to this and think, hey, I want to go follow Derek around and see what this all means. I remember back, back, I think it's grade nine, you do your take your kid to work day. Yeah. And back when I was that young, I got in touch with my uncle and he, he was in the oil patch down by Red Deer and he like lined up actually two days for me to shadow like four different careers, four different trades. And I could see 
you know, that end of things. Yeah. And it was interesting, obviously grade nine to graduating, you, you change around a bit, but it was a good experience. And to me, that's kind of what, like if somebody did want to follow around and just see some things, we could show them all the, all the fancy equipment that makes the internet run. That's great. And you are a proud graduate of Hugh Endon School. Yeah, all my years. Great. So it's great that you went away and uh, pursued post-secondary and came back and you're helping impact the Buffalo Trail Public School students and making a difference within our schools. So I'm wondering as well, so you indicated that your uncle had set some take, you know, take you to work time and set up so you shadowed somebody. Is there somebody that influenced your career path to technology? Sort of. I remember when I was actually, I was in the oil field working as a summer student for one summer and I was already enrolled to go to Nate yep. and, you know, maybe I was thinking about it too much. Maybe I was getting nervous about it, but regardless, one of our uh, chemical suppliers, he, he took us all out to lunch and we got to talking and he was telling me about how he used to work in tech and he actually worked for the RCMP, like recovering data off of uh, machines used in investigations and charging uh, conventions, sorry. I haven't obviously developed into that, but I thought it was interesting that that was possible. And, you know, it just made me a lot more excited for the fall semester coming up and getting started. Oh, that's good. So tell me how you got to like graduate from high school and then into this system analysis job. When I graduated from high school, I just thought about money and I worked for a year. Okay. I had a ranching job lined up with a neighboring ranch. So I spent a lot of hours doing that. They were a big outfit. So there was a lot of hours put in and I appreciated it. But after, you know, after a few months of that, I started realizing I probably don't want to farm the rest of my life. Um, I don't want to freeze ill winter long. Yes. What what interests what interests me? Well, definitely, you know, computers and technology. We're in the purview, so eventually I made the decision to enroll myself in network engineering at Nate. Tell me about that program. Yeah, so I started in 2007. It was a relatively challenging course. I mean, it's they advertise it as a you know, computer engineering type course that the university would offer for four years. They kind of squeeze it into two, lots of hands-on training. They told us at the beginning they had a pretty steep dropout rate for the first year. And our class was apparently exceptional because, you know, there was like 80% of us that started year one, started year two, right on schedule. So right. to me, it was a lot of fun because there was other people that, I got along with and we studied, we made study groups together and it was a pretty enjoyable two years of my life. Hectic and crazy, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, those study groups are important because people can really support you through some of those difficult times of writing many exams or hand. -hands. Yeah, and there's, there's always things that you're gonna understand a little better and be able to help your friend and then 
there's going to be another section that they understand a little better and they can walk you through it. So it is very helpful. So how did you decide on this program with Nate? I suppose because I was more interested in, you know, the backside of the computer, so to speak, the hooking it up, yep. setting up the networks as compared to like a, uh, a coding course or a programming course. Okay. I, I just find it more interesting to have computers and the way they talk to each other and, you know, running the internet and the way all that works. Perfect. I found it more interesting than just making code and, and making games and the things you can do with coding, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to, uh, a couple questions with that. The requirements from high school, you weren't sure after grade 12 what you possibly were going to do. What were the requirements to get into this neat course from high school? Of course, there are requirements and then there, you know, it's a competition course to get yeah. in. So, nice. but the requirements were, you know, high school diploma, two science courses, I think, in high school and a math 30. Okay. Yeah. So the math it was, was very important. It was very important to the course. Okay. Like we learned the, you know, the physics and the electronics behind it of the copper actually carrying the signals, which helped us understand it more, you know, having all that theory. Yeah. But yeah, it's like we did two, um, two calculus courses and I can see why some people dropped out because that was the, uh, that was tough for a lot of students. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. So tell me about networking and what does that mean when you're interested in the networking part and not the coding part? The networking equipment, switches, routers, uh, that kind of thing that, you know, facilitate. And it was interesting through school because we learned over the history, like how it's evolved and the previous equipment that used to be used. I mean, it's all about getting computers to talk to each other. Now we have uh, multiple people in our tech department. Do any of them do coding or are you all very similar in the work that you do? We are pretty similar in the work we do yeah. because it's, you know, we each have our own schools and it's, you know, a lot of our time it's, it's those schools that like we said earlier, the things break, you just, yeah. you keep them running. Right. Yeah. But then, we have our different responsibilities division wide. Like we're kind of jack of all trades, ex masters yeah. of numb. For the division wide things that we're in charge of, we can at least fine tune and it's a good team. So if you yeah. you're, you reach out, maybe one of the other guys has seen this before. Maybe they have an idea. They'll yeah. at least, they're good to bounce ideas off, right? just to get your own head around things sometimes. Absolutely. How did COVID change the work you did last March to June? Honestly, not a whole lot. Okay. We switched, like I got to move to this human office now, so I yeah. save a little bit of commute time, but in the tech world, because all, a lot of our vendors are already way down in Ontario or in the States or wherever, they're not in Wainwright. Yeah. And so like a lot of our meetings and setups, they were already virtual. So that wasn't anything new, but we're getting, it's been a bit of a learning curve in working with our own team 
virtually now to get things done. So, yeah. So you have the opportunity to work with a, a group of schools, correct? So you do have the opportunity to go visit schools, see different classrooms, how they're set up, no different students. Yeah, yeah. Um, like right now, I have the Vermilion schools and and central office, and then the my two home schools. I call them the Huan and Amos because I got two kids in Huanan and one kid in Amisk and right. yeah, it is kind of interesting. So when you're splitting up schools within your team, is it based on the number of classrooms, the number of students, the number of devices? How does that work? It is, I mean, kind of based on student population. Okay. So like, obviously one, one of us techs doesn't have all the big schools and then someone else has just little schools because we have a broad spectrum in Buffalo Trail. Right. And, you know, my, my K to three AMA school just doesn't take the amount of time that JR, the high school does. Oh, absolutely. Um, I would think the, the amount of tech in a school, if it's K to three is quite different than, than a high school. Yeah. The amount and the way they use it. Right. Right. JR moved to BYOD, which might think would make my job easier because there's not as many Buffalo owned, Buffalo Trail owned right. devices, but they're also moving into uh, different pieces of software for video editing now and audio editing and Photoshop and, you know, CNC stuff in the shop. So, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up that BYOD doesn't necessarily mean that there's less um, support for technology needed within the school. So tell me about the support that's still needed within a school that has BYOD. Well, the student-owned Chromebooks still have problems once in a while. Yeah. And we still do our best to try to help those students work through those problems. Mm -hmm. But it's just a little bit different because you know, it's their device and That's they, right. own, they own it. Yeah. But if we can help them, we definitely do. I would think there also needs to be robust uh, access to internet when there's BYOD within a building. I can't really compare it to other schools, right? Because there are only one. But yep. they are definitely very reliant on their technology. Yeah. Like they're the... They were the first ones to get most of the panels and they've got a lot of staff who who really use it all the time so when it doesn't work right they let us know you know we're still working on some things that we want to make better for them so if the internet is down what could some reasons for that be derek um power obviously without power none of our equipment runs and yeah. the internet doesn't run and other times you know, just if a school server goes down, that services the network to all the computers. So those computers don't get their network and everything works, but they wouldn't have any internet and they wouldn't be able to get to their, their files on the server and that kind of thing. So are our servers located in our individual schools or are they located in the office or are they on the cloud? Mostly it's just in the schools. We've got on-prem file service file servers for our schools that way it keeps everything local easy to access and sometimes in 
when SuperNet does break, on occasion, you know, they, they lose a line. Internet would be down, but they'd still be able to get to their files on the server. So we're, we're not in a rush to leave the on-prem that we have. Okay, well, that's good. What are the advantages then to having a server local within the school? Because I know many school divisions are taking them into the cloud. Um, just the, you wouldn't have to pay cloud fees because it's one of those things with cloud computing. I mean, yeah. we do have our backups in the cloud. So, you know, we have a monthly fee that we're paying depending on how much we use it. If we say had a few servers go down and we're relying on those backups to restore, you know, we're going to be using a lot more data and our, our bill would be bigger. Whereas if we can keep things on-prem a little more, we can kind of save costs that way. Okay, perfect, yes. So with your job, so you went to Nate uh, and into the engineering, computer engineering. There must be training that you need since then to keep up on the technology because you mentioned it changes. There's been evolution since you've even started. For sure. Like. A couple of years ago, I took on doing our firewall administration, and that was so. I took a course one summer to introduce me to it, yeah, and get a handle on it. And of course, that's even it's just a stepping stone off of you know things I've learned from at Nate and over the years. Yeah. Um, we also redid our virtual environment not that long ago, and that's something that I will probably get training in okay. moving forward because I it, it's a very robust system now and uh, we're very reliant on it so it'd be good to have some experts on okay so I want to talk about the firewall because that would be work that's extremely important and I would think there's probably ongoing daily upkeep to ensure that our firewall is safe got a pretty good one the Palo Alto firewall is pretty robust, so things are set to be automated as much as possible. Okay. So my daily job, basically logging into that and just making sure nothing has stopped being automated, because if they're not getting their security updates in a timely fashion, that would be problems. Um, what's the most exciting project that you've had the opportunity to work on in Buffalo Trail Public? Um, probably the new Irma school, oh. just because at that time I, it was my responsibility to, you know, make sure the SuperNet switch over and everything in the new school is up and running, ready to go for day one. So I was kind of the driver behind all the network stuff anyways. Um, Jeremy yeah. can deal with the classrooms and the technology that was going in there. Oh, okay. And then I was making sure the rack and our entire systems were gonna work. So I, I found that quite fun. Yeah, that would be, it's one thing I think to be responsible for schools and the technology that's already in place, but to be able to start from the ground up, how do you even begin that? So at this point, I'm going to ask if you have any advice for students who might be interested in this, um, like what kind of character traits would somebody need to go in? I'm thinking great, problem solving, wanting to be a lifelong learner. Patience. Patience. Tell me more about that. 
you got to have patience with yourself because obviously we learn by making mistakes. Yeah. So you got to have the patience to work through that. And also just the patience to let things happen because in the tech world, you know, you, you install things, the computer kind of runs its code. So you have to be patient. You gotta, sometimes you just gotta yeah. let it do its thing. Okay. No, that is good advice. I would think too, you might uh, have an opportunity to work with people who are not patient because if we're waiting for technology to happen to do our work, it uh, kind of slows the user down. So I would think you run into that a little. We, we sometimes run into, well, people will call us once their patience is out. Once something's not working and they've struggled and they're frustrated. Right. I want you to think of yourself as a grade 11 student. What would you say to yourself about your line of work? I would say stick with it because I actually left like I would out of Nate. I worked for East Central for almost four years mm -hmm. and I, I left that to pursue the oil field. Okay. And I did that for a while, but if I could tell my 11, my grade 11 self, I'd be like, just go into it and stick with it. Nice. Good advice. Okay. Well, with that, Derek, I thank you for coming to share your experience and your knowledge about being a systems analyst with Buffalo Trail Public Schools. I very much enjoyed talking to you, and I think you have sparked some imagination for our students in Buffalo Trail. I hope so. Yes. Thank you. All right. Thanks.